Matters here on Dublin South FM. You can contact the show on Twitter, Facebook, or LinkedIn at iProperty Radio or email hello at iPropertyRadio.com. My first guest today is Mike Turlin of Bentley Mental Health and founder of Construction Buddies. Mike, you're very welcome. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you very much for having me. So, Mike, you're you're certainly uh, have a, a deep background in construction. So you might just tell us your own background, please. Okay, I've been uh, well. I'm 64 years old this year, and I'm a project manager. And I've been a project well. I've been in construction ever since I was 16, and I've built from apartment blocks to uh, large house in the states. So there's nothing I can't build, and um, so I'm I'm quite happy. So I like to say to build anything. I say, but um, obviously due to my past mental health issues in 2009, I started uh, Bentley Mental Health. Okay, and um, okay, well, first of all, we're definitely going to get into the work that you're doing, the, the great work you're doing through Bentley Mental Health and, of course, Construction Buddies. But first, I need you to explain the name. Why Bentley? Um, well, in 2009, um, after suffering all my mental health issues, um, um, three years ago, um, nearly four years ago now, I actually got a large tax rebate. And um, after giving everything I owned away in 2009, um, literally every single thing, my money, my cars, because I wasn't planning on being alive. Um, three years ago, I got a large tax rebate that I wasn't expecting. And um, I thought, what do I do with the money? I thought, oh, I earn quite good money in construction anyway, because it's quite well paid. And I thought, well, instead of just having another couple of good holidays, I saw a Bentley on eBay and I thought, I'm going to treat myself after giving everything away um, over the past few years. And... Um, having nothing and I saw a Bentley and I thought I'm going to buy it um, one of 11 kids so quite a large family and uh, I went out and bought a Bentley I even bought it without even looking at it I just saw a picture of it and said if you can deliver it tomorrow I'll have it and then I use that now to go around all the UK car events and what's really interesting I know just before we came on air um, I didn't understand the connection between, say, a car show and mental health and construction, but you painted a very clear picture of how there is a link, and that link is maybe the just the human component. Um, so you might just kind of talk us through some of the events that you go to and, and how you engage with people at those. Okay, I got to all the... The major events and also loads of small, small events like Bewley, Blend and Palace, the NEC, London Build Exhibition and tons more. And I have my Bentley, which has all been customised. And so obviously that's a talking point. And I have um, a, a banner there that says all about my mental health story, how I, what you don't see from here apart from a flash car is how I got here today. And there's my story of obviously I tried it in my life and things like that. And then also I have um, some teddies there, Henry and Harriet. Harriet sits at the table, alcohol-free champagne. And Henry sits in a little small Bentley, electric Bentley. Um, and it, it gets kids coming over and look at it. And then the parents read my story. And so many of them just break down and cry because obviously it's quite a sad story, obviously. But it's it's sad, but I've turned my, it shows that I turned my life around. But also it, um, it, it, it helps them open up about their own issues that they was going through. 
Mike, thank you for being so honest and so forthcoming with your story. And I know the good work that you do and the impact that that has. Um, in Ireland, mental health, the conversation on mental health, the construction, you know, it's really only started in the last number of years. It's only in the last maybe uh, two, three, four years that uh, mental health is on our, our health and safety um, week, uh, the agenda. But speaking up, whether it's male or female, whether it's in construction or any other industry, um, speaking up about issues is difficult. Where did you find the courage when you were at such a low point? Where did you find the courage to be able to speak out? Um, it's only because um, after going through it all and obviously knowing I didn't die, after I tried several different ways to end my life and it didn't work, then it was a case of, okay, I'm not going to die. I need to, obviously I'm not meant to die for a reason. Then I need to change my life. So then I started getting back into work because my old firm took me back on. So it meant I, I was earning good money again and I could start to rebuild. Um, and then I thought, I'm not ashamed of what I done. Um, I suffer with bipolar and, uh, and I have no problem ever talking about what I done or what I tried to do. And by talking about it myself, um, so many other people now relate to it and say, yeah, I, I suffer with that as well. And every, I would say every single day, I'll probably get one or two people talk to me on site or whatever and say what they're going through with their issues and things like that. And they're so relieved that they've actually got someone in common that they can open up and talk to because otherwise there's no one. We all, we, we all suffer in silence sort of thing on site. In addition to the work that you're doing with construction buddies, you're still working on the building side every day. You're a project manager. How has that experience changed? Um, you know, prior to prior to um, the time that you went through, and you know, you talk very openly about not wanting to live. You know, compare that time to where you are now, the connection on site, speaking to colleagues, asking for help, and maybe being able to identify the signs of other people around you needing help. How are those two experiences different? Um, well, I suppose now compared to then, I I had, when I, when I was going through, I had no one really to talk to. I, kept, I even um, asked to be put in a mental home um, when I was actually trying to end my life. And I got, they actually sectioned me and everything else. And, um, but I kept saying to them, I need someone to talk to. I need, to, and they kept saying, oh yeah, we were with you, be with you. But no one actually came and talked to me all the time I was in there. And I said to the psychiatrist, I've just got to get out of here. So um, I actually said to him, I, I want to get out and, uh, for my birthday, which obviously I got out about a week later. And then I booked a flight to Cuba and went on holiday for a couple of weeks and stopped taking my medication because medication actually I found was, um, wasn't actually helping me. It was just making me walk around like a zombie, which I, which I said in another post before. I don't recommend. Obviously, everyone stop taking medication because it depends on the individual. But at the time, it was it just made me say walk like around a zombie and didn't help my life. And then since then, now I don't need medication. I know the signs and symptoms. So obviously, I know when obviously I I get stressed or whatever. Um, but now I, it's helped me now to be able to help other people with their issues because I mainly, I'm mainly listening. I don't advise people, oh, you should do this, do that, because in the end of the day, I'm not a trained counsellor. I'm 
a mental health campaigner and I have a, on my websites, I have counsellors and stuff like that for that. And I signpost people to that. But mainly it's about me listening to people's issues. Well, as you point out, you know, you felt that you didn't have somebody maybe that could listen to you when you needed to speak. Do you think construction, you know, is it a particularly tougher, more masculine, you know, is this, and I don't use the word macho, but there's definitely um, the perception of it still being quite a tough industry. Does that make it a little bit more difficult, do you think, to talk about issues? Uh, Well, it always has done because no one actually um, wants to say, oh, yeah, I'm a... I'm suffering with mental health or otherwise, otherwise they always say like man up or whatever sort of thing. But um, I had it the other day, even like um, the scaffolder, for instance, on my, one of my sites. And um, he was actually just chatting away about, um, uh, I was chatting to him about mental health and all that sort of stuff. And he always walks around laughing and whatever. And then all of a sudden then he just started telling me about all his problems he has with his, with his partner or whatever and they're going to split up and everything else and you think well okay you don't give that impression when you're actually when you talk to him normally he sort of walks he walks around like all hard and boasting whatever about himself and whatever and that but it was nice to see he actually was opening up about his private life sort of thing there's, it's very difficult to get fun, to to get to a place of vulnerability, and particularly with co-workers, if you think you're going to be seeing them every day on site, you know. And, and I'm not sure if that's much different for men and for women. Maybe it is more difficult for men. I I, I don't know. But in terms of working on a building site now, because you've been so open about your issues, when when you're working there, do you think that makes people maybe more inclined to share some of their personal vulnerabilities with you oh yeah definitely because i when i do my toolbox talk i i actually say um if you want to know anything about mental health then talk to me because i see i say it's obviously i've been there done it and i actually own several t-shirts now um so um so they actually they most of them all open up there's not many people that open uh, that don't open up i had um someone one of my bosses phoned me um the other week and said uh their one of their mates wanted um went into the garden and wanted to end his life and and he said well tell his, he told his wife to sell tell his mates what he was doing and i said well he's actually crying out for help he's actually saying to you now that he's wants help and, and he said well the wife told me not to contact i said but the guy is actually saying to you that he wants you to know because he, he now he thinks you you're not interested in him. He thinks uh, his mates don't care now. So I said you need to talk to this guy. I said because he is screaming out for help, and um, and he said, oh yeah, I don't know because I don't want to upset the wife. I said, but the thing is, is your mate, your best mate. What happens if he goes and commits suicide tomorrow? He's going to think, well, it, you're going to blame yourself and thinking I should have done something. But it's too you, all you can do at the moment is talk to the guy. The worst thing can happen is he say I don't want to talk to you. But otherwise, he could open up and break down and, and want to talk to you. So you need to talk to him now, sort of thing. Is that the type of intervention you would have liked or needed? Yes, 100%. Yeah, yeah. Because he say he, he, he was thinking um, two of his mates contacted, two of the, the, the guys that knew this guy contacted me. And I said to both of them, you need to talk to this guy. He is screaming out for help. Otherwise, he wouldn't have told his wife to tell you that he's in the garden with a knife in his hand wants to end his life. 
so you need to talk to this guy. He's screaming out for help. And, and that's the sort of thing that I get from where people actually open up to me, which is great for me because it means I, I know that I'm helping, hopefully helping them with their issues as well. Because obviously if something happened to this guy, they would say, oh, I wish I'd done something where by me intervening, hopefully, well, they spoke to the guy now and he's actually getting help now, which he might not have done before. You know, intervening, I can only imagine is quite a difficult thing here. So, for example, um, for anybody listening in, you know, and we, we have a construction and property audience here. So for people listening in over the last number of years, there has been training on sites, you know, maybe to keep an eye out for people, you know, you, you keep an eye out for people on site. You know, are there signs for people to be watching out because you mean you refer to that that scaffolding chap and certainly there were no indicators there you know he was a happy-go-lucky almost kind of boasting um you know very not somebody who was outwardly showing the signs of struggle and yet within a few moments of conversation you see that absolutely he he was struggling so is that what's likely to be happening on sites or are there signs that people can watch out for amongst their team members? Well, um, there's lots of um, professionals out there that say, yes, there's loads of signs and symptoms to look out for, but I don't know. I've not actually seen loads of signs and symptoms because sometimes it could just be the quiet person that sits in the corner and you say, how are you, mate? And how's it going? How's your day? Sort of thing, and whatever, and they could open up. Or it could be someone that's just obviously... I suppose, like, for instance, like um, Robbie Williams, um, obviously a well-known comedian, obviously took his own life. For instance, like, he's always laughing and joking around. You think, oh, he's not the sort of person to end his life, but he probably didn't give any signs or symptoms before he died um, because, obviously, he was just that sort of guy that made everyone happy. So it's the same sort of thing on construction sites. People, people that you don't think are suffering are the ones that are suffering. Um, I've had it where so many sort of high people in, in companies that I've met at um, London Build Exhibition, they've come up to me and says, um, like, like I say, like for instance, not necessarily because it's Ireland, this guy in Ireland, he said to me, I own so many of these BM, uh, these um, Bentleys at, um, in Ireland. And he said, does that make me happy? No. And, and that's the sort of thing it is. You can have loads of money and have all these flash cars, um, but it doesn't really make you happy. Um, it can make you look happy to the outside person, but it's all about, to me, I say, it's getting people to open up, and that's what they do on building sites because you just say you just can't tell who is suffering. Getting people to open up. I mean, how do we do that when when there are no signs to look for? Then you know, is it a case that is this a conversation that needs to be ongoing on every building site around the world? Yes. 100%. I think we need to have um, more team meetings and on site and just get everyone together and say, look, I'm here. If you want to chat, I'm here. Any, any of you want to chat about how, how life is or anything like that? Um, because I know at events that I do, I get so many people that open up about their issues, uh, whether they've been raped or they've, um, oh, there's just so much. Or um, even like one of the car shows, one guy walked up and he said, I wish, your, I wish my son had met you last year because he wouldn't have committed suicide. And uh, if he read your story. And uh, so many other people, were, um, like another person has come up to me and said, uh, he's with his daughter, and he said, my um, wife um, committed suicide uh, this year. And 
And he said, and I blame myself. I said, you will do. I said, because you, you didn't see the signs and symptoms, but even though I might, whatever I will say, you're still, you're still blame yourself. But obviously we all know it's not your fault because we hide it so well. We don't go around shouting that we're going to end our life. We just do it. Uh, the ones that are shouting about it obviously just want help. And, um, and then he, he followed me to the next event and then he told me that he, he got um, been told he's got cancer. And then I hugged him and he broke down and cried and walked away. And the next event, he actually came to me and said, Mike, I need help. Um, so it, it's, 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 it's not all the people that say, go around screaming and shouting. It's, it's, it can be the quiet ones and it can be the, the people that scream, uh, sort of like comment and laugh and joke or whatever, just because they, they, it's an escape to hide their, what's actually going on in their lives. So what are you doing through Construction Buddies? Because really what I'd love to today is obviously raise the awareness for people across the industry. Um, this is a conversation that we know has gotten started over the past number of years, and we just want to maybe normalise that conversation taking place. Um, so it's taking place every day, not just during Construction Safety Week or not just during Mental Health Week. You know, that the we're shining a light on a conversation that needs to happen every day that people are together. Um, so what are you doing through Construction Buddies? Well, there's a, there's a few things I'm doing. With, well, one is actually um, I'm help sponsoring and, and raising money on my on Construction Buddies to get with a company called Construction Youth Trust is to get people in the construction industry under under 30 um, that are out of work. So Because obviously we need more people in the construction industry. It's just not enough. Mm-hmm. Um, but also um, I've got say on my website i've got counselors i've got where you can do training which companies i've spoke to was sort of like um they're, they're companies that don't cost a lot of money to actually do your training with and things like that to save them money and there's blogs on there there's loads of loads of different counselors um there's just so much different type of help but the idea is actually boost construction buddies should I actually team up with companies and stuff like that so i can actually put more stuff on there and have an app on there where they can get 24 hours uh, helpline um, because I know there's lots of other uh, companies out there at the moment. There's a few companies that want to work with me to have an app on my website where they can get, say, 24-hour help. That's my aim. Uh, but it all comes in time, and obviously I fund everything myself. Um, I fund well, 50% of my wages each month goes on mental health. Um, so that's how passionate I am about trying to save lives in construction. What do you need for the constru- for the traditional construction industry players to do to to assist with this? You know, I mean, what should construction employers be doing at this stage? Um, getting people, um, basically, getting people, they're, they're someone in their company to have talks with all their guys to make sure they're not suffering in silence. Because I say, there's so many people that I meet at events that actually open up, so that it means there's so many people. Um, that are still hiding what they're going through. Um, I had a massive car company, um, which, yeah, massive car company that actually, because of my name of the company, the, the, my website, actually thought I was actually part of that company. And um, I was getting all these emails from that company saying they're not looking after my mental health. And I actually said to them, well, I'm not actually part of the company, but I can. I'll email the CEO and say, your guys have got issues because you're not helping them. And um, then obviously they um, said they was going to avenge a, uh, a massive car event for their guys. And um, by the 
that all just died a death sort of thing. It's just that um, I think there was just a try to keep me quiet because of, but at the end of the day, it was their guys was actually screaming out for help and saying they were supposed to be getting help from their company, but they wasn't. So that's why there's so many people that you think are getting the help, but they're not actually getting the help from their companies. So we need to get companies to do more than what they're doing. Some of it, like, sorry, for instance, like at London Build Exhibition, I was there and I had my car there um, and obviously talking about mental health and they had a mental health platform there on the stage. And I sat right at the front and I was listening to all these people and I thought, what a load of rubbish. I actually got up and walked away because I thought all these people was actually, it just seemed like they were ticking boxes for their company, not actually been there and done it and everything else. And to me, it's all about um, not ticking boxes. It's all about get, making sure you are doing what you're saying rather than just ticking boxes in construction. You know, look, that, that's a fair point. Um, I know some companies, not necessarily construction, just in general, companies have been accused of maybe jumping on the bandwagon, um, you know, taking a woke approach to mental health, but maybe not um, not creating the changes in, in the environment that actually could help people um, in, in their day-to-day lives. And, and I appreciate it really is a difficult one. Mike, is there still a stigma around mental health? Oh, the, yes, and, the, and there will be for a long time. Um, until we can actually um, get it out there that it's not weak to speak. And obviously, there's, well, so there's so many different people that sort of like um, that are out there that still want to open up, but they, they don't because they think it's still a macho thing. But we need to change that because it's... It's, it shouldn't now, it, the times are changing and that's the past. We need to start looking at the future and getting all our guys to open up about their issues and say, look, it's not it's not an issue. It's not a problem to speak. Talk to us. We're here. We, 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 we're here to listen sort of thing. So use us. When you went back to work, did you face any issues from either your employers or members of the team on site? Um, not from my employees because the employers, um, when I was going through all my mental health uh, issues, I was actually working for the same company that I went back to. They actually um, made me redundant only because um, it helped me financial-wise to actually help me through the situation I was with at the time. So it actually done me a favour. Um, but obviously going back to that company, no, because they all knew what I was going through and um, I had no issues with any of the people that was obviously on my site or anything like that because I said, this is what happened and loads of people go through it. So it's just a case of uh, moving on and talking about it. So no. So did you feel, did you feel supported when you went back to the workplace? Oh, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. Because my, the company I was with or still am now, I've actually just gone back to them in the last year. And, um, but yeah, no, they fully supported me sort of thing, which was really good. Have, has that company implemented any changes to support the rest of the staff? Do you think that this, uh, you know, has there been a level of awareness raised when you went back? Um, I don't think they have, but obviously they've actually know that I deal with all mental health. So if anyone in the company that um, wants to talk about mental health, they tend to come to me sort of thing, which is quite good sort of thing. So, yeah. Okay. And look, thank you for being so open and generous with your time before we finish up today you know 
is there a message um, that you would like to give to the industry or to people who might be suffering and just aren't in a position to open up? They're just not there yet. Um, well, lots of people still won't open up. It's like when I say when I'm at events, people will actually, sometimes they won't actually talk to me. They're actually just nod and smile like, in other words, they know what they're going through, but they're not ready yet at that stage to talk. Lots of people aren't, but get in contact with me on my website and um, I can I can find counsellors and that, that can help them sort of thing. So don't suffer in silence. We're all here and um, there's loads of other companies that's on LinkedIn that are well happy to help people with their issues sort of thing. So it's good to talk and, and, and have the ability to listen. Absolutely, Mike. Thank you so much. And I would urge anybody to just go visit the Construction Buddies website. In the meantime, we need to take a quick break. Stay tuned. 93.9 Dublin South FM. And welcome back to Property Matters on Dublin South FM with myself, Carol Tallon. You can contact us on social media at iProperty Radio or email hello at iPropertyRadio.com. For our PropTech interview today, I'm delighted to be joined by Nicholas Kirby and Leon Ballard, co-founders of Least. So Nicholas and Leon, you're both very welcome. And I was very excited to talk to you today because one look at your website to learn a little more about you. And I'm happy to I'm happy to learn more about a team who starts their story with our story begins one very late night in Vegas. Nick, <laughs> t- tell us a little bit about Least. Hey, Carol. Um, thank you very much for having us. So Leased is a software platform that's delivering faster, better leasing, leasing to commercial real estate companies. So just to dive into that in a bit more detail, we're helping them generate more revenue faster with t- less time and resources than they do currently. And, you know, it, it's it, the process currently, we say faster and better because the process currently really is messy and horrible for everyone it takes too much time there are too many people involved it's very fragmented and and really that's where this was born so you mentioned this long night in vegas and you know ed leon and myself have had many arguments about how um, the leasing process is broken but also who breaks it the most so it's a constant battle between the lawyers and the agents I think the lawyers lost in the end, but ultimately, you know, it, that's where the passion for solving this problem was was born. I think that's a really interesting way to frame it because we always concentrate on the problems. We always concentrate mm-hmm. on the process and where it's broken. I've never really heard it. I, I've never really heard a question as in who breaks it the most. It's a really good question, though. Um, so tell me, you, you talk about uh, le- making leasing better and faster. What's your starting point for that? I mean, are you talking about uh, maybe going into the traditional industry where there isn't technology in place at all? Or are you starting from the point where, you know, over the last five, six, seven years, there's been bits of bitty integrations, um, you know, that haven't worked very well, you know, technology that isn't really fit for purpose. So, like, what are you making faster and better? What's your starting point? Well, I think what we what we did is we we unpicked the problem from start to finish. So from the moment a tenant engages with the landlord, so the, the, the negotiation piece, and then we went back a step and said, well, at that point when the tenant engages, what do, what do we need? And the, and the and the and the point is, there's a lot of preparation that doesn't get done in the current state of play um, that the landlord can do well in advance of ever identifying a tenant. So what we do is we gamify the preparation piece 
And that, that provides dual momentum into the negotiation. And that momentum is carried through head-to-terms negotiation into the lease automation and through its digital signature. And when then, you say, sorry to cut across you there, when you say gamify, can you explain that? Because we know, you know, that that's definitely one of the, the buzzwords at the moment. It's definitely something that uh, B2B providers are really trying to do it's difficult we haven't seen many pull that off in a way that works can you just explain that element please well gamification is all about incentives and transparency so um we predominantly it's a property manager that's going to prepare a space ready for lease now they would typically have their documentation around the landlord's company around their own files on their own on their own desktops. But what we do is we put uh, engage them to put, the, put it into a central, central portal and there's complete oversight from the leasing team as to where, uh, where that documentation is and how much of it is complete. Therefore, the property manager's incentivized to get on and get their portfolio ready and the remaining stakeholders are incentivized to um, keep communication channels quite clean. And that's the, the sort of the gamification piece of it. Okay, so yeah. how, how does the technology work? So the technology works. I mean, on that specific element for now, ultimately what we're trying to do, as Leon said, is is really encourage people, make the process more fun and, and effectively say, look, can you complete your readiness score for these assets that you want to lease and you want to lease quickly? And, it, and it's encouraging, making it almost a team event so yeah, for, for, for that part of the product, you know, we're effectively a sort of complex data room which delivers, you know, specific items for each person to complete. The, the relevant person needs to complete them. They're divided up amongst tasks. The, the rest of our technology is a negotiation platform. Uh, it's not like word track changes or Google Docs where you've got multiple parties making changes all at the same time. We're much more like a game of tennis. So you're at one side than the other side. But it's a collaborative process. So the home team and the away team are there to collaborate together to streamline what is a really fragmented process and ultimately to make it a bit more modular. So we're delivering outcomes rather than words um, and numbers. We're trying to deliver what, what do people want as a result of this negotiation, helping them achieve that faster. Okay, I, I like the modular approach because actually one of the things we've seen in the past, particularly um, with the uh, earlier waves of technology, there was companies trying to do it all, not perhaps fully understanding the scale of the problem. Um, whereas a modular approach actually lets the client and, and the user feed into that. So actually, it's not your assumption of the problem, it's actually the problems that, that need to be tackled. You touched on readiness score. Is that yeah. is that what I imagine to be? Is it a digitized version of maybe the old analog system that uh, letting agents would have used in the past? Yeah, ultimately, ex exactly. And and but it's um it's sort of specific to the sector, maybe specific to the type of real estate that's being let. So if you've got plug and play, it's different to if you've got a pre let or if you've got a complex office portfolio or industrial portfolio. So we're really trying to normalize what people need in order to transact quickly and to deliver that to the property managers and to help them that, that become a team event to make real estate ready. And then for the tenant, we're giving them what they need to make a decision on a piece of real estate quickly and to transact quickly after that uh, at the beginning of the journey. 
How long are you guys active in the market? We uh, we launched we launched uh, having done our first deals with Shaftesbury. We launched uh, in August, um, so August twenty one. So we've been going for four or five months now, um, and it's been uh, it's been great. Um, off the back of some really positive press, um, some really good reviews, market sentiments really strong, and we've been uh, signing up some really really nice, interesting clients over the last uh, well. Certainly, December and January, people seem to have come back to 2022 with um, with with some with some desire, uh, and and obviously this post uh, post COVID world where tech adoption has been you know quite uh, expedited, we're uh, we're excited that uh, people are really interested in the product. Yeah, you know, you're you're coming at this at the right time. Um, the the fact that. To be fair, the, the industry is always called a dinosaur. And I think that's perhaps a little unfair. You know, in fact, only in the last week or two, I was um, interviewing Ben Lerner of Lerner Associates, you know, and he was able to chronicle PropTech going back 40 years. And in fact, he got his start in his father's business, you know. And and um, so I thought that was a really interesting way. It, it's, a, it's an industry that's criticised as a whole, but actually on the facilities management, um, on the asset management side, actually... It, it's it's been a little more tech advanced than I think people realize. But where do you fit in then? Because I would imagine that you're selling to customers who were looking for solutions five, six, seven years ago. Yeah, look, so we fit into this. I, I always describe it as sort of four segments to commercial real estate. So you've got that. Section one is basically vacant space, people trying to find and market their vacant space. Section two is the commercial. Section three is the legal. Section four is property management. And you're right, section one and four, you know, lots and lots of technology um, surfacing around those problems. You know, the segment we're dealing with, the agents and the lawyers and commercial real estate and the legal industry is definitely far behind the curve in terms of tech adoption and and is always being criticised for that. But I think that's definitely changing. It definitely feels like it's changing, even pre-COVID, post-COVID, though now, you know, agencies, lawyers, commercial real estate owners are, are really upping their game in terms of adoption. I think the markets help with that. So you've got occupiers now that want space that's ready for them to move into. So the physical space is changing. We're plugging in and trying to help the process that fits around the physical space change and catch up a bit. Um yeah, so so I look, I think I think that's where we fit, and and I think it's a super exciting time, as you say, for for us to be solving this particular problem. You know, it is, and um, coming into this interview, you know, I'm always interested for people who are at the coalface, you know, selling new products and services into the industry. I'm always interested to know how they're being received because I have one view of the industry, and in fact, I I think it's a lot more willing to embrace new uh, and emerging technologies than it gets credit for. And I think that's really been accelerated um, since COVID. But because you're trying to bring the legal sector and tenants from a range of sectors into this, there's a much bigger culture shift that you need to deliver. How is that going? Because I, I appreciate that it really only has been a few months. You know, mm. so so how is that challenge being tackled? 
it's 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 been received very well. I think where where our product really sings is is on the as Nick said is on the the fitted space where landlords have gone out and they've done a lot of work shortening their lease and they're offering more flexible terms, and so that's where our product immediately fits day one. And then as we as we develop and build out the complexity, we're doing more and more. Um, complex transactions, larger spaces, and then we've just opened up our verticals. So we can now do retail, we can now do industrial. So we're looking forward to building those out as, as well. Um, actually, what I, I really should have asked this off the top, but what backgrounds do you both come from? So can you go first? <laughs> yeah. So I'm a I'm an ex uh, office agent turned investment agent. Um Having worked in London and then uh, and then in Poland, um, so spent five years in the in in the London West End market, predominantly doing tenant rep work. Um, our other co-founder is a is an agent, um, fifteen year agent in in the West End, and Nick. Uh, so I'm a lawyer. I'm still I'm still a lawyer. I'm a partner at Mishcon Derea. Um, and I think you know that, that's it's sort of it's a really good fit between all three of us, despite the arguments about who who broke it the most. But it's a really good fit, and I, I've always been passionate about making lawyers more efficient, helping them free up time, making us as an industry a bit more progressive in terms of tech adoption. It's been really exciting to see over the last five, ten years as that has really, really accelerated. Um, and so, you know, this, this, it, what we've always talked about is this idea of momentum through stage two into the stage two and stage three that I talked about. So, you know, the idea that we can get landlords and tenants and agents and lawyers excited about stage two and the changes we can make in stage two will then drive behavior change through stage, stage three. Um, so there's still a lot to do for us. In, in that stage in terms of really driving efficiency in the legal part of this process. But, you know, we're excited about having sort of start really conquered stage two and, and then making our impact on stage three. Yeah. I, I, in terms of a Venn diagram of founders and backgrounds, you know, that's a lovely complete one. Then, you know, when you have the legal, you have the office, you have the tenant engagement and the tenant rep side of it, you know, so, so that really does bring a very complete sense of understanding the market. So therefore maybe understanding the challenges, but it also, you know, you can actually look at the trends. So for example, you mentioned there that part of your work involves, you know, looking at an offering around shorter leases and more flexibility. And frankly, there's work <laughs> There's work to get landlords to understand that actually that's where the market is going and that's what tenants want. And in some cases, it's not even the mindset of the landlords. It's the financing arrangements that they have. You know, they're just not in a position to be as flexible as they need to be or to look at those shorter leases. So how are you balancing the changing needs of the market, which is definitely towards a more agile, flexible, you know, shorter commitment um, to the needs and financing needs of landlords. I think I think we're we're probably acting as a bit of a catalyst here because what we're seeing now is lots of the certainly where we've started is in central London in with the estates. Now, whilst they are long long standing institutions. 
because they're not trading in and out of their assets, they can actually um, they can actually look at shorter form leases. So they've actually spent the last two, three years doing the physical work, doing the legal work, and we've come along at the right time to help with the conveyancing. Where we'll where we'll meet, um, you know, where the trend has got to push is into the asset managers, the investors that are trading in and out, and they want to be trading longer longer leases for higher premiums. But I think what the market is realizing is that as long as you can reduce the void, then you can get long income streams. But it just means that you're giving the tenant the flexibility. Um, over over two three year leases rather than the five year the ten year leases. But what's key to that and where we really help is that we are reducing that void. So that is what's going to de-risk the investment um, and allow the market to move towards trading in and out of shorter short form leases. Okay, uh, and thank you for going through that. It kind of puts a nice bit of context on on the industry side of it, but. At the back of my mind, I'm thinking you're still at quite early stages, you know, in the market since August 2021. And it was a non-typical market, Um, you know, so I I don't think we're going to go back to whatever typical is or was. But, you know, you're certainly coming in at, at a time of change, at quite a transformative time. So I'm interested in the startup dynamics now, Uh, given that you're so new. Is the company funded? Yeah, I can take this one. I think we're new in the sense of our launch to the market, but I think you know a lot of work went into getting to to last year and launching with Shaftesbury. Um, we did our first fundraise in 2019 in December, and then another one in early 2020. And you know that first fundraise got us um, a product, an MVP, out talking to people, understanding whether or not it was properly solving their problems. I mean, it was quite stressful launching a commercial leasing business in the middle of a pandemic when no one was taking any commercial lease leases. That was that was slightly, yeah, slightly panic-inducing, I think, for all three of us. Um, but exciting nonetheless because of the market changes that have been driven as a result of that. We were lucky enough to, to have that funding, to be able to use the time to build it, to talk to people. And then in 2020, we, we've used that to launch publicly with our, with our clients, as Leon mentioned. Um, and we've worked, you know, we've worked really, really hard, talk, talked to lots and lots of people to, to get where we are now. And I think it's you know, to everyone else out there that's in in the same place as we are, I think you know it's starting to pay dividends now. All of those conversations that we've had, we're having people coming back to us now to say, "Hey, we've heard about you from someone else who's using it. It's really great. Um, can, can we come on board?" So I think you know it, it, all of that hard work will pay off eventually, even if you do feel like you're banging your head against the wall sometimes. <laughs> I think that's part of the startup or certainly part of the the founder condition that, uh, you know, really, it has been a difficult time. But what's interesting, I think, is how quickly startups and scaling companies can shift. So what's interesting there is that actually you did your first fundraising round prior to COVID. So what had to change? Can you talk us through the business model, maybe just uh, very briefly? Yeah, we're, we're a, we we charge a subscription fee um, for asset managers, and then a transaction fee for a successful transaction. So that's that's allowed us to keep that subscription fee low and to effectively you know share in the success of, of transactions, which is I think a model that works well for the real estate industry. 
Um, the business model hasn't really changed since we started. I think the thing that has changed is um, because of this market dynamic and more plug and play and shorter leases, you know, we've been able to really get involved end to end faster than we expected to be able to. So in a traditional market, we've got 10 year, lots of 10 year leases. It's much more difficult for us to get involved in just closing closing a standard form lease. But with shorter leases, more reasonable terms, we, we've been able to really get involved in that end-to-end process um, all the way to the, the lease completing. So what are you seeing in terms of trends? Because, you know, the future of work, how we're going to, the future of workplaces, how we're going to use the office, you know, that's that's so much up in the air at the moment. I don't believe there are any experts in this. I don't think anybody knows yet because actually, as humans, we don't yet know how we're going to react. You know, we're still not fully post-COVID. So we can't take the learning yet. We haven't had time um, to absorb, but we haven't had time to understand what this is going to see. What trends are you seeing in terms of offices and workplaces right now? Well, I, I think I think what it's all going to do is going to expedite that whole flexibility point. I think it was JLL said that by... Um, 2030, there was going to be 30% of the market would be flexible workspace. Now, I, th- I think the, the the reaction of the companies post-COVID is that they, they do want an office, they do want to collaborate in a workspace, they do want to offer their staff um, flexibility to work at home one, two days a week. But what that all comes back to is they they don't know how their business is going to be two, three years from now. So they want the flexibility on the lease term and they want a more collaborative working space. So it might be that the, the, the actual um, office space itself changes a little bit. It becomes a little bit more meeting room friendly, a bit more social. I think even in the way everybody's communicating in this post-COVID world, um, it's, it's, more, it's more casual. And I think I think so. The, the the office space is going to reflect that. Okay, very good. And just in terms of, and I appreciate that it's early days and it's a, a time of transition. What are what are the objectives for twenty twenty two? Well, we're we're um, we're just uh, commencing our seed raise at the moment. So um, we we've just gone to market as of yesterday. Um, with those funds, we're going to be um, really resourcing our other verticals. So at the moment, we're, we've been focused on offices because that's our background. Um, but we're going to be opening up uh, industrial and retail. Uh, it also gives us scope for, for wider geographies. So delighted to be talking to you in Ireland today because that's certainly a market that we'll be looking at very, very soon. Um, we've we've already gone to Scotland, so um, Ireland Ireland can be next, absolutely. Right. Um, and um, and then we're we're building out our team. We've we've uh, employed some great people, uh, Aaron and Emma, on board, and uh, we've got David joining us as a CTO. And we're going to uh, bring our tech sort of a little bit more in house, um, and uh, and really drive the business forward, listening to our clients, understanding what they want, the iterations of the product they need, and really making sure that we deliver on that. You know, we, we talked about how it's a transformative and such an interesting time for the office market, you know, equally industrial and retail there. You know, so you're actually, uh, you're coming into these sectors at a time where the change, I mean, in terms of retail going 
to more experiential, I think that just opens up so many opportunities there. And industrial and logistics, um, the demand there is such that I'm almost wondering what will be your pipeline coming in, how... You know, these aren't properties that are sitting there waiting to be used. I mean, you know, it's such an intense time for industrial and logistics. You know, have you any forecast on that for 2022 or is that likely to be a longer term? I think we want to engage with with those parties as soon as we've got the resource to, to to do the work. And that's part of the race. That's part of scaling up. Um, we're certainly seeing that there's going to be, you know, a lot more logistics and, uh, you know, transactional or industries that are built on, you know, online retail and things like that. And then you mentioned the experiential part of, of retail. Well, what we're, we're, we're engaging with a client at the moment and rolling out on their pop-up portfolio. So again, when you talk about investment values and things like that, pop-up is about quickness. It's about, you know, it says it, it says it on the tin, you know, um, you don't want to be engaging in long legal processes to, uh, to get your pop-up agreement. So, you know, why not engage in a, a leasing transaction that can do that quickly and get the pop-ups up and running? I look forward to seeing what you guys do. Best of luck with the seed raise. And thank you so much for taking the time to go through the business today. So your website is Get Leased, L-E-A-S-T. Is that correct? That's it. Super. Okay, well, look, best of luck with the seed raise. We look forward to seeing you hit the Irish market shortly. That was Nicholas Kirby and Leon Ballard, co-founders of Leased. And that's it from Property Matters this week. You can get in touch with the show on social media at iProperty Radio or email hello at iPropertyRadio.com. My thanks to Luke Delaney and Peter Rice on sound. We'll be back at the same time next week. For now, thank you.